now we are going to do our reading, which is Psalm 46, um, page 471 in the Pew Bibles, if you want to turn there. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's the word of the Lord. Morning. Time change okay? No? Um, <clears throat> we're in the Lenten series, and I heard that we're out of those booklets, so um, apologize for that if you didn't get one, um, but uh, we'll, we'll print up some more for you. Um, but we're going to be in this series taking a break from the book of Daniel until Easter, and so this morning we'll be looking at Psalm 46. Uh, we kicked off this series by looking at Joel chapter 2, and the reason why we did that was our, our overall theme uh, during this season is return to me with all your heart, which Joel chapter 2 addresses. So we've been looking at some spiritual disciplines to help us to do this, and we started with fasting last week. So um, how's it going? Okay. Um, well, we're going to get together a little bit later for people to kind of debrief and just kind of share with each other how their experience is going. If you haven't started on that, um, no reason to feel bad. You can start this week. Or if you started and you found that, you know, I can't do this and then you stopped, again, no reason to feel bad. Just start up again this week. And, and we'll just support each other through this time of uh, practice this, practicing this particular spiritual discipline. Um, we, we want to encourage you to try it, and it's not because we're uh, rendering garments, but we're rendering our hearts. We're, we're trying to facilitate a, a heart change, a, a heart direction, a heart posture uh, towards God, and it's nothing that we're being dogmatic about, but we do want to work on returning our heart to God during this Lenten season. So if you, if you didn't start or you tried, you stopped, um, just pick it up again. Just try it again, and then um, check in with a home group. Uh, to support and encourage you through this. So if you're not part of a home group, just check, check them out and, and see how they can be of support to you during this time. And you guys can share stories about how you've been hangry or whatever it is. And, and you guys can uh, support each other from that. The, the whole purpose of it is not to like endure hunger, um, but really the whole purpose of it is to render our hearts to God, is to return our hearts to God. And so if it's not doing that for you, then don't do it. 
you know, don't do it. But, but in practicing this particular discipline, um, I mean, what it usually does for me is, you know, when I feel that, um, it, then it's kind of like an alarm clock for me to say like, oh, I can, I can pray. Or it reminds me, oh, I need to bring this thing up with God. Uh, and so it acts like a, almost an alarm for me to say like, hey, um, yeah, return, return, return. So um, you can use it in, in that fashion. Also, as a community, we've been doing that. But on a personal level, uh, we've been uh, encouraging abstinence to abstain from something. And so uh, I guess, how are you doing with that one? Uh, about the same. Okay. Um, but so, so more than likely, if, if you aren't practicing abstinence from that thing that has you in bondage or that thing that holds you down from or turning your heart to God, you're probably not in a group that is encouraging or praying for you regarding this particular thing. So again, we encourage you to surround yourself with people to encourage you to even figure out what that thing is you need to abstain from. And so again, home groups are a great place to do this because in a place of acquaintances like our church, um, it's, it's hard on a, on a Sunday to do that and, and to get into a more intimate setting where you can develop friendships and trust is, is the place that, that might happen. So if you were here last week, I shared about the, the locusts from Joel chapter 2 eating away at you. So there's no better time than now to take that courageous step to stop that locust invasion from that locust kind of taking over your life and just to like break free from that, that bondage. So just want to encourage you to keep going. You know, we got another... 40 days or so to keep going, so let's, let's keep going. Looking at Psalms, uh, chapter 46 here, and it, it reminds us uh, of, of verse 1 here, which is so important um, to incorporate another practice uh, from verse 10 here. And so verse 1 reminds us of, of God, and so we'll take a look at that. It reads this, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And I just want to pause there for about 10 seconds so that you can meditate on that verse and let it just sink in a little bit. Um, just, just God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now skip down to verse 10, and it reads this, Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And let's sit for 10 seconds with that. In this psalm, there are three pictures going on here, and I'm going to attempt to paint them for us. Uh, in verses 1 through 3, it's this picture of what may be. In verses 4 through 7, it's a picture of what always is. And then the third picture is in verses 8 through 11, and this is a picture of what will be. So it's maybe, always is, will be. And those are the pictures um, I'm going to try to paint for us, abstract, obviously. So in verses 1 through 3, 
we see the people in the middle of a very chaotic, a very crazy time. And so before verses 2 and 3 give us the, that description, there's this um, confession of faith in verse 1. And the confession of faith is, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So after this confession of faith, then it goes into this trouble. And how many of us have already experienced God in our very present, as a very present help in trouble? And I realize that there are many uh, of us who are experiencing trouble, like even now, and it's really challenging to even see that help in that trouble. However, this psalm starts with this confession of faith, even though we are going to experience those things and we don't necessarily feel that help. That, that God has been a, a picture of that very present help in trouble throughout the Bible, even if I don't feel it right now. And this picture is the maybe. And so maybe, and then therefore, verses 2 and 3, therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way. So just picture in your head this, this, this craziness going on. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So get that picture in your head, just how crazy, apocalyptic that is. And so the psalmists are writing, we will not fear whatever it is that we're facing. Even all that apocalyptic crazy stuff, that the, the worst picture that we can see, whatever chaos is coming our way, we are going to confess. We're going to declare God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of need. Therefore, we are not going to fear. And so um, in looking at uh, a lot of the chaos that is happening here, and, and for us to question, you know, is God really in control? Because in verses 2 and 3, those are things that are happening that aren't supposed to happen. Mountains in the heart of the sea? Like, that, that is not supposed to happen. That is a very cataclysmic event. And in those types of situations, is, is God really in control? Because this type of chaos shouldn't happen. And sometimes we wonder about that in our lives or in our families or friendships or relationships. Like, that isn't supposed to happen to us. But this psalm is telling us that even when things that happen that aren't supposed to happen happen, that God is still in control. And the psalmists understand that things may seem like they're crumbling and they seem really, really horrific, which is why they wrote these verses into the psalm. So whatever natural disasters, whatever political, personal catastrophes are happening in our lives, hopefully we'll be able to declare, hopefully we'll be able to proclaim God is our refuge and our strength before any of that happens, to understand that that is the thing first. Okay, now anything that happens, but I, I realize that. That God is our focus. That it's not the circumstances. And so this Lenten season is about returning to God with all our heart. All of it. Not rendering garments, but rendering our heart. So, so who is God? And so we're going to take a look at verses 7 and 11 to tell us this. And again, this is a literary tool that the psalmists are using by repeating verses, by repeating what they're writing down. And so they're repeating this in verses 7 and 11. The Lord 
7-11. Anyway. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So what do verses 7 and 11 mean? Who is this Lord of hosts? Well, this title is telling us that Yahweh is hosts. Yahweh is hosts. He is the God of all resources. Everything is at his disposal. Whether it's seen or unseen, everything is at his disposal. And even as the God of all resources, that God who is God of all resources is with you and he's with me. He's with us. That his presence is with us. Even though he has everything at his disposal, he still chooses us. And whatever we experience in that chaos, in that distress, he is God of everything that we can possibly ever need because all those resources belong to him and are at his disposal. And that he is the present God. Then we read of this term here, the God of Jacob. Now who's the God of Jacob? Well, he's, he is the God of one of our covenant ancestors, right? Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And meaning, he is a covenant God who commits himself to an undeserving people. Because you notice here that the psalmist didn't write God of Abraham or God of Isaac. He writes God of Jacob. Who's Jacob? Jacob's known to be a, a conniving person. He's known to be a scheming person. He's known to be someone that is of really bad character. And so they're purposely putting God of Jacob as opposed to Abraham or Isaac because they're saying God is the God of grace who commits himself in covenant to an undeserving people like Jacob, like you, like me. He's the God of grace. And so they're purposely inputting God of Jacob. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or anger or sword? No. Nothing. Nothing separates us from the love of Christ. The psalmists give us this picture of what may be. And then the psalmist gives us a picture of what always is in verse 4 through 7. This is the picture of what always is. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, we need to keep in mind the picture that we just came from in verses 2 and 3. All that chaos, all that apocalyptic picture, all the mountains trembling, the oceans roaring and foaming, all that sort of stuff going on, uh, mountains moved into the sea, all that calamity in God's presence. Keep that picture in your mind, and then that picture then just shifts here in verse 4. It's a sudden shift. It's a sudden change of pictures, and it's this river that makes whose streams make glad the city of God. So you, you, you see the shift in picture. And the, the, the author, the psalmist, are purposely doing this. They're purposely not inputting a verse 7, a verse 11 here, because they want you to get that jerky motion of a, of a different picture now. That the earth gave way, the mountains tremble, all that kind of stuff, and then the shift over here. And so it's a much different picture, and you see this literary tool being used 
from this calamity to now this river whose streams make glad. That it's chaos to peace. And so I think what the psalmists are doing here is they're, they're pointing us to paradise, what happened before this calamity. And so they're, they're, they're bringing us back to the Garden of Eden. They're bringing us back to Genesis chapter 2.11 before the verses 2 and 3 in Psalm 46. And it reads this in Genesis 2 verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became our uh, four rivers. So this peaceful place, perhaps pointing people back to how God originally created things prior to Psalm 46 verses 2 and 3 before that, and from paradise through this chaos until the return of Jesus Christ and through all of this, he is the God of circumstances who is a very present help in trouble. And we talked about this last week in, in terms of this not yet living that we're in, right? Where the chaos and all this stuff and we're going to experience all this chaos until the return of Christ. That we're in this time of post-paradise, post-Genesis 2 and pre the return of Christ and we're in this essentially time of war that your souls are being fought for that there is God and his angelic beings and they are battling against demons and Satan and everything else that wants to destroy you and there's this battle in this not yet aspect of time and from the time this has happened until the return of Christ. We do experience these little glimpses of peace in the middle of this ongoing war, where we do get these little glimpses and experiences of a peace of paradise while we're in the middle of this war. And you look back to verse 5, it reads, God is in the midst of her. God is in the midst of this. He's in the midst of the church. He's in the midst of Israel and Jerusalem and what they've been going through. He's in the midst of all of this. He's in the middle of our war. That God is in the midst of all this and he's not going to be moved from it. He is going to be present. He's going to be in it with us. He's not moving from it. In verse 2, the mountains might be moved into the sea. In verse 6, the kingdoms may totter. But verse 5, the holy habitation of the Most High where God is in the midst will not be moved. All this stuff can happen. God is not going to be moved from it. He's not going to leave us. He's going to be present with us. He's going to be in the middle of our wars. Everything around us can be moved. Everything else can be toppled, but not the holy habitation where the presence of God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. Now you look back to verse 5 again. It reads this, God will help her when morning dawns. Now, what, is the, what are the psalmists doing here? There's only one other place in the Old Testament that the psalmist could be pointing to when thinking back about God's help when the morning dawns. The only other place this ever occurs is in Exodus chapter 14, verse 27. This is, this is when Moses rescues the Israelites from the Egyptians, and it reads this. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. So this is speaking of when God delivered his people in the midst of oppression, injustice, turmoil, chaos. And in the morning, when the morning appeared, that's when it happened. 
And you can look at Psalms, Psalms chapter 30, verse 5, it reads, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. So this is speaking of what will be. Uh, verses 8 through 11, we'll, we'll skip down to that. We did the first picture, that chaotic picture. We did that second picture, that river of, of grace. And then here's this third picture where God's peace will be known throughout the world. This is the picture of what will be. So starting here in verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So again, this is speaking of what will be, where things are heading. We're heading towards peace. And we're given this invitation to witness the peace in verses 8 and 11. This is what God will do. He will disarm. And then in verse 10, we're given a command where God pronounces, he declares his victory to stop and to know that God is God. And this is going to be an exercise where we're going to incorporate this time into our service together as well as throughout the rest of this week. I'll get into more of that a little later. But essentially what's the, this picture that's happening here is that God stops all war. That he disarms all these people that have these instruments of war. And it's not something that people ever do on their own. Because when in our history have we ever done that? We've just put down arms and just said, we want to live in peace. We're always at war. And so this is saying that God is going to do it. God will bring the peace. Now you notice that verse 10 switches to the first person because prior to that, prior to verse 10, God is spoken of in a third person sense. And it's not until verse 10 that it reads, be still and know that I am God. I am will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And again, so who's the audience of this psalm? Who's receiving this message? Who's receiving this victory announcement that God has everything in control? And so you look back at this psalm, and what I think it is, is I think the audience is or are the nations. Because you look back to verse 6, it's the nations that rage. And then you look at verse 10. It is God who will be exalted amongst the nations. I think God is addressing the nations. Now, why do I make a, a bigger deal of this? Because I, I think, this is my interpretation, and you guys can disagree, but I think this verse is so badly misinterpreted quite often. Because most of the time, this verse is interpreted in a very solitary devotional way, right? That you break out this verse and you, you kind of read it in a devotional way where a person goes off on their own to practice being still or silent or in solitude. And you read this and you're like, be still and know that, I, oh yes, that's very sweet. And I'm not saying that that's not in the Bible. That is, that is throughout the Bible. That's, that's a text that is very common in the Bible to practice that spiritual 
discipline of silence and solitude and meditation and study. And we encourage you to actually practice that in your personal devotions during this Lenten season, that it's a very valuable thing. But this one in 46 verse 10 is a different be still. This be still is speaking to a larger community. So let me try to paint a picture for you as to how this, this kind of is. Um, I have four children, and they sometimes they get really rowdy. Actually, it's more than sometimes. It's um, really often they get very rowdy. And this can all happen at the same time where they're having fun and they're playing, but they're also fighting, and they're also yelling, and they're also teasing, but they're also, like, singing. And they're also, like... It's all at the same time. It's just, it's like verses 2 and 3. It's just all at the same time. And this is something that it always is. It is always loud. Always. It is always loud. And so some of you who come from larger families, you, you know what this is like. You know, you know what this is like when your dad or your mom just says, Stop. Like, that's it, right? Like, just, just stop. And I do this often. Right? I do this often with them. It's just, this is the only way to experience some peace in the car, in the house, at the dining table, at the re- anywhere in my life. That's like the only way. Like, stop! But, nope, nope, no reasoning, no why. Oh, she hit me. No, nothing. I don't care. I don't care about anything. I just want peace. That's it. I don't care about anything else in life right now. That's it. Be quiet. But, mm, if you say another word, you're going to feel the wrath. So now, um, they're kind of accustomed to this now, to me, that I don't even really need to say that anymore. I just need to give the dad glare. Right? Like, they're... It's like um, Jesus calming the storm. Like, <laughs> no remnant, no nothing. Is, that's the amazing thing about the storm, right? Like, there's no, like, choppy wave after. Like, it was just silent and still. And that's kind of how it is when it just, <laughs> like, okay. I, we, we can't mess because he gave us the glare. And that's, like, dad's crazy Chinese dad look. And, like, the, but oftentimes, what this psalm, how this psalm is interpreted is as just serene, be still. I'm going to grab my cup of coffee, and I'm going to go by the fire and put my feet up, and I'm going to read my devotional. Be still, and know that, oh yeah, I'm going to sit with that, and I'm going to hang out. And that's not the tone of this verse at all. God is speaking to hostile nations, kind of like, Four hostile kids. And he's speaking to these nations who seek to crush each other, who are seeking to crush God's people, and he's telling them, stop. That's it. No more reason, no more nothing. It, it's just stop. And then what happens after that? You're going to know that I'm God when I do this. When I tell you to stop, there's not going to be a reason, but who are you to tell me? I dare one of my children to say that to me. 
I'll have to move out of Oakland, otherwise I'll pay some consequences. But there's no reasoning there. You're not going to be able to tell God, well, who are you? Really? That's not going to happen. You're going to know he's God. If you think that the mountains tremble and all that chaos in verses 2 and 3 are something, you're going to know he's God. And he's going to say, stop. I don't care why you are killing each other. I don't care why you are oppressing each other. I don't care about that stuff. It's going to stop. That is it. The New Testament equivalent to this is in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That there will be a time to come when God puts an end to all of the madness in our world. That that's, that's it. That's the be still. That's the tone of the be still. Where people will recognize God is God. Stop. You better recognize. That's, that's it. And there will be no longer a debate. There will be no longer these arguments of what is true and what is false. Oh, God is not true because I can't see him or I can't do this. You're going to know. There's going to be no question at this time. After he says stop, there's no question who God's going to be to you. He is God. And so God is essentially going to say stop. His kingdom will be ushered in. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God will be exalted in the nations, in the earth. Nothing is going to stop this from happening. The end of the war. The return of Christ. We are in this not yet aspect, we're in this war, we're all this, but nothing is going to stop it from coming where he's going to be victorious and say, stop, this is it. That's all you guys get. Now during this time of Lent, we are focusing on returning our hearts to God. And we began last week by practicing fasting and practicing abstinence. So we are going to return to these spiritual exercises of fasting and abstinence, of stopping, stop. What do we need to be still from? What do we need to abstain from, to stop doing? And to really acknowledge that God is God, that God is the God that stops all the craziness, and we don't have to wait until then. He can stop the craziness in the midst of the war that irreconcilable relationship that you have with a loved one. The different things that are going on in your life that you're struggling with. What's the thing that you need to stop? Now yes, this is addressing as a community and so we're going to be prayerful about that too. We're going to take some time to, to deal with that too and to talk about that amongst ourselves. To think about what is, it, what is it in our community as a church? What is it in our community as a family? What is it in my life that I need to stop? And so as a community, we'll try to figure that out, repent of it and shift. And then you individually, what is it 
that has you in bondage that you just need to starve to death, that you need to stop, the thing that you're addicted to, whether it's a substance, alcohol, pornography, gossiping, slander, lying, it's tax season, that you need to stop stealing. What, what is it that you just need to stop so that it actually helps you to return your heart to God fully? That's the focus. The focus isn't just to like fast and to be hungry. The focus isn't just to like, oh, I'm going to stop this thing for 40 days and then, then therefore I'm going to be a good person for the 40 days and then I'm just going to return back to what I'm going to do. Kill it. Kill that thing. Stop it. So I want to encourage you, if you're not in a home group or a small group, to get together with people there that it's a safe environment because it's going to be really hard to abstain and stop something without support, whether that's prayer or encouragement to say, like, hey, how are you doing with that? Or have you started that yet? You haven't? Okay, let's pray about that and let's, let's see if we can take that step of that courageous step forward. Or like if you fell, it's all right. Like get back up. We're going to return our hearts to God this Lenten season. We, we have these 40 days to do this, and we want to support you. So I encourage you to do that. And the first thing to know, to declare, pronounce first, is God is our refuge, our strength, a very present help in trouble. That's the very first thing. You have to acknowledge that. And it's not until verse 10 that he says, stop. But you have to acknowledge the, the first things first. God is our refuge, our strength. He's a present help in trouble. Then you get to the abstinence. Then you get to the stopping. To be still and to know that God is God. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. And as we enter this Lenten season and we are practicing these spiritual exercises uh, of fasting and of abstinence, of stopping. Um, the whole point not to just do a religious act, but the whole point is to render our hearts, to, to tear our hearts open so that we are returning them to you, God, fully returning them to you. We, we desire change in our lives. Not these temporary behavior modification practices, but a deep change within that those things that are holding us back, those things that are holding our hearts back from you, that those things are broken and we can release our hearts completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen.